As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Getting basic things like a W-9 from someone, I did not do that in his case. And those are things that when you're starting out in business, you don't think about. Maybe nobody tells you this, but those are things that are very important. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's us today? Mike Krieg. How you doing, Mike? Doing well. Thanks, Joe. Well, I'm glad to hear it and you're welcome. A little bit about Mike. He's the co-founder of Steeple Rock Partners. He's been investing in real estate for 14 years. He's helped provide investor funds to purchase 3,800 apartment units and self-storage units worth over $300 million based in Austin, Texas. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, I am in Austin, married, three kids. In addition to real estate, I am also executive director of a nonprofit outfit and the founder called Storyline. And so with that, we train and mentor young leaders from more than 25 countries around the world. So it's a big passion of mine. So primarily with Steeple Rock Partners on the real estate side, we raise capital for deals that we like, that our partners are personally investing in. So we invest alongside of our investors. And we primarily operate with multifamily apartments, self-storage, and mobile home parks. You've been investing for 14 years. What did you start out doing? My very first purchase was actually in Russia. So I had never bought anything before that. I was out of college, probably, I think, three years out of college, and bought a place in Russia. And two and a half years later, I sold it, and we did really well. That's a whole story I could tell you. We probably don't have time for that. Give us the Cliff Notes version. Anything we're saying can be said in a couple minutes. So what's the Cliff Notes? So we were going to be there for five years. So my wife and I moved over there and we were mentoring college kids in one of the major cities over there. And we decided, you know what? The rents over here, they're going up $100 per month. 
from 700 bucks a month to 800. I mean, it was just, it was crazy, the inflation, but all these things were selling for about 50, 60, $70,000 and there were no taxes. So we just thought, you know what, what if we could buy one of these? And even if the market crashed and we lost 50% of our value, we would still come out ahead relative to renting. So we did all the research and interviewed a bunch of folks. We had a bunch of American business folks that said, Hey, do not do this. The mafia is here. They take businesses. They'll come in with AK-47s and force you to sign over your business or whatever. But what we realized was a lot of the Americans had never done it. There was a French business guy who had done it. So we followed his lead and raised some capital. Couldn't borrow anything from a Russian bank. The rates were about 20% plus. So we raised capital in the U.S., wired it in and bought our flat. And it was incredible. So that was my first purchase ever. And I had no idea how to do it in the U.S. So I came back here and with all the costs associated with it. I, I was pretty bummed because I literally paid $500 <laughs> to an attorney in Russia to close it. And that was all of my closing costs were 500 bucks. So yeah, you can imagine a disappointment when I came back here and bought my first house in Austin. You sold it and made a profit? I did. We bought it during those years. Oil was going up quite a bit. They introduced a mortgage market for real estate during the time that we were owners. So yeah, it went up about 2.3x. So it was a nice profit. Plus some of the loans I got were very low interest loans. We had a few friends who gave us 0% interest loans. I think the effective rate on the total loan amount was like 2.2% mm -hmm. effective rate. So we paid off that loan pretty quickly. So that was the deal in Russia. And then you got back and then what were some of your next purchases? So we came back to Austin and I bought my home here and eventually we ended up turning that home into a rental property. And I think that was probably the more difficult step and really kind of when we shifted into becoming real estate investors, having a property, managing a tenant, going over there, trying to figure out, hey, do I fix that fan or do I hire someone to do it? What kinds of things can I fix myself? We moved really about 10 minutes away from the property. So there are quite a few things that we could do ourselves, but that's a pretty expensive property. It was a nice property. And then after that, we refinanced it a couple of times. We bought other properties, primarily in San Antonio, Austin, even back seven, eight years ago, wasn't exactly a great cash flow market. So we went down to San Antonio, New Braunfels, started buying duplexes and houses and things like that. And I kind of focused more on the nicer properties. So my portfolio wasn't huge, but I really wanted to get nicer tenants, nicer properties. So I was a landlord. And over time, what happens, obviously, that becomes a part-time job. Some weeks, it feels like a full-time job. And while it's great building equity, and it's a great way to build a financial foundation, you realize that it doesn't scale well. And I know you've heard this and everybody talks about this. And a lot of our investors mention this as well. At some point, you begin to think about commercial. And so that's when I began to think about, hey, how do I invest in multifamily apartments? Sold that portfolio and been investing alongside of our investors in bigger deals. How much did you make when selling half the portfolio? How much equity have I pulled out? Yeah. About a quarter million. And when you say pull out, those are refinance or did you actually sell them? Yeah, we sold. I had a property that I bought that was giving me a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Which one? It was a triplex in San Antonio. I didn't like that experience. It was a mistake that I had made. Not a great market. It's one of the lessons that I learned is when you buy something, you really want to pay attention to the market. Mm -hmm. It was an earlier purchase and had a lot of issues with tenants. And so I sold that one 
And then I sold our very first one, which is our single family house. How much you buy the triplex for and how much did you sell it for? <laughs> yeah, the triplex, I bought it literally off Craigslist. Oh, wow. I, yeah. And this is where, again, you got to be careful. Just because the numbers make sense does not mean you should be in that deal. The numbers were amazing. But again, the market was tough. I bought it for 130 and it was an interesting deal because it was a seller finance and the seller thought he could take the note and go into the secondary market and sell that and get pretty much dollar for dollar with it. And once he realized he couldn't do that, he came back to me and he shaved 10 grand off the price. So really I got it for 115. I ended up selling it for about 160. So you made money on that deal. I did make money on it. How much you put into it? I guess I should have asked that question. Yeah, I put about 15 into it. Okay. So you're all in around 130 and you sold it for about $20,000, $30,000 more than that. Yeah, and it was a cash flow. It was producing pretty well. But again, with the amount of time I was spending with it, I didn't think it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Got rid of it. Instead of selling it, why not keep it and do a cash out refinance and then put a property management team in place? Yeah, I just didn't want to deal with it. This is what we found here is that there are certain properties where property management companies just don't want to touch. And there are certain areas that they don't want to deal with because they see what kind of tenant is in there. So this was a difficult property even for them. And the very first year I bought it, I owned it. We did have property management on it and they actually fired me. They called me at the end of the year and said, hey, yeah, we don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I'm like, oh no, it's terrible. And so- I ended up dealing with it for another two and a half, three years. And I just decided, you know what? This is just time to sell. We're going to let go of this and move on. So that's what we did. That single family house, what'd you buy it for? How much you put into it? And what'd you sell it for? Bought 274, sold it for 412. What we put into it. We lived in that house. That was our primary home for about four and a half years. So I'm not exactly sure what we put into it. It wasn't not much. Not, Not a whole lot. Okay. I assume that the appreciation that you mentioned, it's like almost 150. Is that just congratulations you bought in the right market at the right time? Yes, that's right. Okay, cool. Austin's been growing pretty significantly, pretty robustly for quite a while. And at the time we bought, that was 2008. I thought 274, you got to be kidding me. This thing, it's a 2000 square foot, three, two house. We had two kids. And I'm thinking, this is nuts. Like, we need to be buying something that's about 50 grand less. But, you know, it's a school district. It's, it's southwest Austin. It's a great part of town. And now 400 k is probably a pretty good deal for that house. So, I mean, it's all relative. So you took that money and you started investing in what? We began investing in larger deals, apartment communities, apartment complexes. So we got into an opportunity in San Antonio to start. My partner and I with Steeple Rock Partners, basically we, we began a private investment company and teamed up with several operators, obviously with you and Dave Thompson and other folks and started investing and also some self-storage deals. We like storage for a lot of reasons, but for me personally, I mean, it really began just with, hey, this is going to make sense for me. I, I can be truly passive, having underwritten several deals. Initially, we were going to buy our own deals, and we were underwriting 20 and 30 and 40-unit deals here in Texas, and decided that space between 10 to about 100 units 
is just not a space we want to be in. It's a little bit more difficult to, to scale. You're paying the same legal costs for something like that that you would for 200 plus unit deal. So we didn't like that space and we just decided we didn't want to invest in that kind of middle ground. So we just teamed up and, you know, commercial real estate's a team sport and we decided that's the way we want to go. So it really began with, hey, this is something we want to invest in. And every deal, we look at it that way. This is where I want to put my capital. This is how I want to develop passive income. And I've got friends and family and others who are interested in this as well. And over time, that number of group of investors just grows steadily over time. And that's how we've been operating. Tell us a deal that hasn't gone according to plan. So far in commercial, I would say we haven't had that experience yet. We haven't seen something go sideways at all. The deals that I've done, something that didn't go to plan, I think I would probably have to go back to residential landlording days for that. (laughs) And again, it'd probably be the triplex that we talked about. I had tenants getting pulled over by the police because there's a drug house next door. I had sex acts being performed on the back lawn and tenants calling me saying, hey, what's going on here? Terrible things like that. And again, at the end of the day, I made money on it, but it's like, that's just not the kind of business I want. I did, however, get pretty involved in the community there and got pretty involved with the police department. We ended up cleaning that house out, which was quite an interesting experience. And it kind of feels good to think you're kind of cleaning up the street, but it's like, okay, well, it wasn't exactly what I had planned to do. (laughs) And I, 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 just, I just want to make some monthly cash flow. <laughs> I, I don't want them making monthly cash flow on my property like that. You know? <laughs> but uh, anyway, and then I, I, had a, I had a deal too. I had a contractor who was going to do a wholesale deal or something. He was working with me on this triplex and I gave him three grand and he just completely disappeared. <laughs> never, never saw him again. So, okay, well, yeah, we need to be more careful about some of these guys. So that was a, a ways back. Some of those early burns are healthy for you. And you realize, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. And thankfully that was $3,000 here and a couple hundred bucks over there. So yeah, I'm thankful to have learned some of those lessons early. On that $3,000 contractor thing, not to put salt in wounds, but what gave you the confidence to give him 3000 up front? Well, we had done some work together. He had done several projects on time and he was very faithful and he did good work for me on about two or three or four different projects. And it was also a friend of my brother. My brother actually introduced me to him. I found out later my brother didn't really know him that well. (laughs) He had known him just, I guess, from a restaurant that he used to own, the contractor. But we had some history and everything. I guess I just didn't know him long enough. Sometimes I think it's just time when you begin to see a person's character and you begin to see some of the things that they're dealing with in their life. And I think part of it is he had some life challenges. He had a wife who was going through some sickness and stuff like that. I could see where a person like that could kind of decide, you know, Mike's doing well. I'm not, this is going to be fine. I think he just sort of justified mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. And so mm-hmm. I've forgiven him. We obviously don't do business together anymore. And I tried to reach out to the guy and say, Hey, listen, I understand you're going through something difficult and, I forgive you, but he hasn't gotten back in contact. But some of that stuff happens and you learn from it. And in the future, really getting basic things like a W-9 from someone, I did not do that in his case. And those are things that when you're starting out in business, you don't think about, maybe nobody tells you this, but those are things that are very important and you need to be getting information on the people that you work with. Yeah, it brings up such a good point 
when we get a referral from someone, just simply asking them, hey, how well do you know this person? Because I'm guilty of referring people to others who I don't know very well. I may or may not have done business with them or maybe they're just someone who I've heard of and perhaps whenever I give referrals, I should also qualify, hey, here's someone who I've heard about, but I personally haven't worked with them. And then on the flip side, if I'm given referrals, just to ask a follow-up question, how well do you know the person again? I think that brings up something that would be very helpful for everyone. Oh yeah. I had a contractor I was working with and on bigger pockets, somebody asked me, Hey, who's a good contractor? And I actually put his name in a forum post. Oh, and, man. and it's terrible because what happened was he did a couple of really great projects for me. And then he's another guy that just kind of flaked out. And I've been getting emails for about a year and a half. Hey, who is this guy? Can I have his contact? So I have to continually go in there and say, hey, listen, uh, he flaked out. I can't recommend this guy. I'm sorry. So I have to continue to do this. But that post is, <laughs> that post is on there for eternity. Mm-hmm. So, hey, if you're a bigger pockets person, you're hearing this, don't email me about Carlos because it's yeah. not well, you can, Carlos you're thinking You about. can post on that and just at the very bottom say, hey, I no longer recommend this gentleman. Yeah, you're right. I can go find that. That way it stops. Or it will discontinue most of the messages. I had a similar experience. I worked with someone who consulted me on apartment investing when I got started, and I was complimentary of the person on bigger pockets at the time. But shortly thereafter, I realized I should not be complimentary of the person. So then I went in and I updated it, and I didn't bash the person, but I just simply said, I can't recommend this person any longer. And that has not stopped the messages about that person, but it decreased the amount of messages I get about the person. That's good advice. I'll have to follow up on that. That's great. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think real estate investing is a relationship business. So I think for me, if you serve other people the way you want to be served, if you put the interests of others above your own, I think you'll do well. Sometimes that means not doing something that is in your interest because it's not in the interest of somebody else's. But I think for me, that applies to tenant or resident investors that you're bringing into a deal. That's just age old advice that I think goes a very, very long way. Do you currently have a full-time job? Yeah, I am working as the executive director for a nonprofit, the storyline. So I'm really kind of two-timing it. Yep. And the reason why I ask is I was wondering how the skills you use in that position have helped you in your real estate career. I think that's it. I really think that being in the nonprofit world, it's all about people. And our entire organization, the whole purpose of it is to build young leaders and to build people. So when we have investors, it's not just about getting people into a deal. We really want to get to know and kind of build a team and build a community around our people. And I have a desire to have relationships with our investors and with our investor community and get to know them and had just wonderful visits over dinner and lunches and coffees and just getting to know them and their families. And we're all a team and everybody's accomplishing something. And real estate's really just a means to a greater purpose that we have. I don't think it's about a number. I don't think it's about some net worth amount. It's really a means to an end. Who are the people that are in your life, in your community, in your family that you're called to serve? And I think that's really what it's about. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? 
Yep. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Best Ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever book you've recently read? Yeah, I think I like Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I like that. I know it's primarily about building wealth. However, I do think that there's lots of stuff in there. Whatever goal you have in life, it could be just simply being a better father, being a better husband. I think there's a lot of stuff in there that is super useful for anybody. I love that book. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Not paying attention to the market or the submarket. And will you elaborate on that? Oh, well, I guess the San Antonio deal, the triplex, right? Yes, it just wasn't changing fast enough. It was an area that was close to downtown, but assuming it's going to change a lot faster than it actually did. Best ever deal you've done? I would say probably my Russia deal. Best ever way you'd like to give back? Again, I'd say through the organization that we founded, Storyline, and mentoring young leaders around the world. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? You can contact me, Mike, at steeplerockpartners.com or I'm on Bigger Pockets. Well, Mike, thank you for being on the show talking about the Russia deal, the triplex in a area that was very challenging and what you did as a result of that to get it to be the best situation possible. And then the single family home buying in a very good appreciating market, as well as how you've evolved your approach to multifamily as well as self-storage and the contractor thing too. It's a good referral story where we've got to make sure when we get referrals to ask them how well do they know these people because they might think they're doing us a favor for giving us referrals, but in reality, it might turn out to be the opposite of a favor because they might not know the person well and then we're going to get in some trouble. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Enjoy our conversation and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.